I'm here at the Sescal Stamp Show, and I saw a great exhibit on the history of Madagascar. So I tracked down the exhibitor and interviewed him for the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Oh. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rupert, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Oh, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan I got a plenty from Poland but none from Sudan Or from Fiji or Uzbekistan Stamp collecting happens when we dream together Okay, go ahead and introduce yourself Well, my name is Bob Mustasich I live in Santa Barbara, California And I'm a collector of... Uh, Mostly revenues, but I got interested in uh, postal history of, of Madagascar. Right, and you have a great exhibit here. What, what did the exhibit get? Well, I ended up getting a large Vermeer. It's Wait. the first time out, which is a Vermeer is a gold silver uh, intermediary, I guess you'd call it. It's it's a one level down from a gold. Yes. yes. So so what's it on? Um, it is on Madagascar. The pre-colonial and colonial history, um, as told by the philately of the country. And I really, really, truly wanted to get you onto the podcast because it is such a wild exhibit. It goes literally every place where a stamp exhibit should go. It, it has pirates in it. It has lemurs. <laughs> it has everything. It has big stamps. It has everything. Why don't you give everybody just a really quick rundown on the philately of... Uh, of, of this country? Okay. Well, it, it has continued to amaze me. I, I was originally amazed by the country because I like to grow plants, and I traveled in Madagascar a couple of times studying the uh, rich biodiversity of the country. It's just totally amazing. But then, uh, as I was already a stamp collector, I started thinking more about the history of the place and how, that, how did that affect the philately. And the more I read about the history, the more the interesting and strange the philately seemed like it might be. And sure enough, that was fully borne out in the, in the whole thing. I, the place started as, as a pirate haven. Those were the first Europeans to actually be able to uh, inhabit one of the small islands, Ile Saint Marie. And uh, the French... Um, got claimed to Ile Saint Marie a little bit later and they were also interested in seeing the pirate trade uh, disappear out of the place. Um, and they got interested in, in waves um, historically, sort of around whether they were busy at home with revolutions or not, but they got interested in colonization. So they took an interest in the island and um, the, the first king that really unified the island, Radama I, he, 
uh, in the early 19th century, he became very interested in modernizing the country and bringing in uh, written language and Western technology. So he took an interest in the London missionaries. Uh, and he knew the London missionaries were interested in coming, so he invited them and they started coming in in small numbers. And so some of my earliest philately is actually correspondence, the first letters out were correspondence to the London Missionary Society. So they came in, but then after Radama I died, the Queen uh, Rana Valuna I came in and she... Hold on, say that name again. Rana Valuna, if I got it right. Rana Valuna. <laughs> yeah. Cool name, okay. Yeah, and so she came in and she uh, was... She took a, a strong dislike to the change that Rodama I was trying to bring in. So she went into a period of, of regressive uh, politics to try to drive um, foreign influence out and get it back to the more traditional ways of the country. And she in particular started persecuting Christians or forbidding the uh, practice of Christianity. And she ended up driving foreigners out. And so you really entered into this uh, unusual period where postal history and philately disappeared, basically from the island for about three decades uh, during her reign. So there, there is really, there's no postal history <laughs> to be found. And then after she passed away in the early 1860s, um, they warmed up again, the, the following monarchs warmed up again to the idea of bringing back Western influence. So the London missionaries started coming back in, some Western trade started coming back in, Norwegian missionaries started coming in. Then you get into this, but you get into this period where uh, the Malagasy and the French were, uh, the French were coming in with more and more colonial interests and they started, you know, got into more and more conflict with the Malagasy. And those conflicts led to uh, sort of blockades and difficulty communicating, uh, especially for the British in Madagascar. So even it, when they tried to open up the place, the place wasn't? Well, because of those hostilities and French interactions and blockades of the ports and things like that, um, you ended up with local posts springing up. So there's a famous uh, British local post of these very large, really intriguing stamps um, that were a British local post in the mid-1880s. And uh, extremely interesting stamps. Yeah, why don't you describe those? Because they're I about guarantee you every person who collects stamps has opened up their catalog, seen these big, huge squares yes. for these stamps and never seen any to put in those. Yes, yes, they, they are relatively scarce. Um, they were local francs for basically running mail by foot from usually the capital to the nearby port. And uh, they were meant to be applied by the consulate uh, to help with the little bit of British mail that needed to get to the port. Um, and they were to be torn off at the port, and then the port came under um, UPU control through French uh, 
request by France. Uh, so France actually had outgoing mail through Reunion uh, that was UPU recognized. So at the port, these big stamps would be just torn off and then... Hold on, so you're in some business yeah. in downtown. Yes. You get your envelope, you put one of these stamps on. You, you go to the you, you go to the British consulate, I guess. Okay, you go to the British consulate and you say... You, hey, you, you, you pay them and you, you get one of these stamps and then they would take it... To the port. To the port. And, and then, then they rip the stamp off it? They tear the stamp off. It was only gummed in one corner. It was meant to be torn off and disposed of as proof that, you know, it was transported to the to the consulate at the oh. port. And and then they would get a French stamp put on it and then travel the rest of the way, probably through Reunion, uh, to the rest of the world. So these stamps usually didn't ever appear yeah. <laughs> on anything. They're if they mostly, were doing it right, they yeah. never appeared anywhere. No, no, no. And um, so you could find mint ones. Well, one one reason this is scarce, even though the British, uh, or I mean the French, hostilities with the Malagasy went on for many years, uh, these stamps were relatively short-lived because, uh, interestingly, um, the the consulate was deluged with mail requests from all over the world for these stamps. And you when mean from collectors? From or? collectors. Oh. So clim- collectors basically put an end to these local post stamps. Because when Britain learned that the embassy was buried in requests <laughs> by stamp collectors for these stamps. Because you realize, I've seen pictures of 1888 Scott albums, and you open up the album. The album's not a very big album, yet there are four entire pages of the different denominations of these great big stamps. So the demand was enormous from around the world. And so um, basically the, the head of the consulate there was instructed to shut this all down. I would think that's interesting because you'd expect the exact opposite. You'd be, you'd expect them to say, "Hey, we're making a couple hundred bucks here. Yeah. You know, keep doing it." But they yeah. said, "Nah, it's just a pain in the butt." Well, let's get rid it of it. It was just a pain. Um, it really was just a consulate. It was not a national agency or government or anything behind the stamps. So, <laughs> that, Got it. that that just put a, put a total into it. So that put the kibosh on the whole thing. It, so, so these stamps were used a relatively short time by a small number of people. And so mostly, well, there's a certain number of used stamps out there. Um, but also you see a lot of them that are just kind of mint, the yeah. ones that are out. Because uh, a, great, a great many that of the few out there were basically unused, yeah. unused stamps. You don't find them on cover for obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, then then beyond that, uh, you, the, the history in, continues to be really intriguing because you get into the whole French conquest. Um, the the Norwegian Missionary Society also set up their own local post. The um, Norwegian Madagascar post. Yeah, there was the Norwegian Missionary Society set up their own post, and this was when the hostilities got really really bad near the end of the of the. French Malagasy Wars in the mid 1890s. Okay, I hate to say it wasn't the Norwegians that were going to war with anybody. No. no. Okay, it was the French then. It was the French. Was it actually like shoot shoot bang bang war or was it just uh, yeah, blockades yeah. and stuff? It was blockades, but it was fighting. Oh. And um, 
you know, they the French had a hold on the north end of the island for a long time, but then they slowly worked their way south. And then in about 1895, they succeeded in overtaking the island. But for the very last year, the blockades were really bad again. So there was actually a revival of the British post at the request of the Malagasy government because, because the British were still friends of the Malagasy, especially with the French being so hostile to the Got Malagasy it. government. Got it. And so you find this short-lived, a few months revival of these special, uh, and this time they actually printed more like postage stamps. They're scarce, especially on, but there's a few covers around. But they were used for a short amount of time, and the Norwegians did the same. They copied the British and did their own local post stamps. Now, the French came in a few months later. There were only like three or four bags of mail taken out with these stamps until the French basically claimed the capital. And uh, at that point, they shut down the British uh, second effort at a, at a, uh, so a local the, post. But they let, they let the Norwegian one keep going because I, there was so little mail, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't really yeah. care. The Norwegian... Uh, <laughs> So, so those are really <laughs> scarce. There are not many of them. <laughs> that would be an exhibit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, some of that stuff does exist out there. And then, uh, well, then you get into basically the, from that period on, then you get into the colonial history. Uh, the French had troops on the island for five or ten years to try to get the, it's a big island, so a thousand miles long. And so it was a long time to basically get all of the island I guess under satisfactory control. So they had an expeditionary uh, uh, force there for, for many years. And then you have World War I, uh, that period, and, and, and all through the history of the colonial um, period, you have stamp shortages. Um, you know, it's a remote colony, um, not a lot of resources, um, poor country economically, and stamps just ran short all the time. So there's so many overprints, so many varieties, so many different kinds of uh, envelopes marked, uh, sh you know, fault of the stamps, shortage of stamps, um, stamps bisected, um, different kinds of stamping, saying there are no stamps, you know, after World War II even, there's stamp shortages. Um, so there's, there's a huge variety of stamp shortages. Being a, a third world country, you have um, that, that was um, innovative to the point of copying other places that you know, struggled with uh, resource shortages. They had mobile box uh, kind of things. They had buses that you could drop mail onto to get mobile box. Uh, uh, the French called it boîte mobile. Uh, stampings. Uh, they had traveling post offices. Uh, they would have a, a mail a mail clerk uh, taking mail and selling stamps on on the one train run that they had to the coast. Um, you know, a lot of variety. And then um, when and then there, there's just strange history too. Like um, I, I was surprised to learn that that during. Uh, in 1940, during the Second World War, the the Germans, uh, the the Jewish desk, uh, Rademacher, uh, who was in charge of that, came up with a plan to solve what the Germans considered their Jewish problem, and 
It involved basically mass deportation of the Jews of Europe, according to the German plan, to uh, Madagascar of all places. And it was contingent on the Germans um, taking, taking France and taking Britain. And, well, uh, if you took France, they, they took France, so right? so that would give them uh, access to Madagascar. So their problem was the transportation. Yeah, and a, and and my understanding was that Adolf Eichmann was going to be in charge of the north half or north third of Madagascar or something. Is 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 sort of a that's a weird yeah is this special hostage there. state. Um, but yeah, then you know that they did not take Britain, and that. Put the kibosh on that whole plan because that was uh, contingent on them getting the the British Navy for uh, deporting people, and um, so they went back to the drawing boards and you know came up with the, the very sad and unfortunate uh, yeah. uh, Holocaust. Um, but you know, Madagascar figured prominently into the early German plans, but that did not escape the Japanese. Uh, the the fact that Madagascar went to the Vichy government. Um, the Vichy government of France had given French uh, Indochina, French Indochina, to the Japanese, uh -huh. yes. and so the Japanese later had thought, well, let's. Uh, let's we would love a base. <laughs> we would love a base near the Mediterranean, and in uh, the. Uh, yeah, I, I western would, western uh, Pacific I, over there. I wouldn't say that's very close to the Mediterranean, but... <laughs> but well, they considered it. It, was a, it would be a close base of operations for them to expand across, way across the Indian Ocean. And um, so the Allies got wind of this, is my understanding, an Operation Ironclad, I believe it's called, where they, uh, uh, the Allies came in and basically uh, took Madagascar um, to keep it out of the hands of the to Japanese. keep it out of the hands of the Japanese. That's wild. And they actually fought a battle with mini subs that sank two, I think, sank one or two um, British, large British uh, ships oh. up in the up in the northern port on on this this uh, Operation Ironclad. But uh, that continued on. I, I think the the last really surprising thing I learned about was. In the 1940s, there was uh, a Malagasy, um, uh, I think is often just referred to as Malagasy Uprising. Um, the Malagasy had uh, keen interests in independence, uh, especially after World War II. I, I guess all through the 20th century, um, they had struggled with French occupation or, or being a French colony and, and had aspirations of independence. But well, back when uh, the one queen you were talking about, her name, I forget. Rana Valuna. Was she, did she just want to get rid of the outsiders or was she looking to make a country of her own? I mean, was, Well, it was already was a unified country under Radama, pretty so, much. So it pretty much was independent? Yeah, she was, taken over. she was going, trying to roll back to more traditionalist. She wanted the independence back again. That the well, she, she wanted more of a traditionalist um, return to old values. Uh, yeah, you told me a traditionalist story about some of the tests that she did, though. Well, uh, she brought back and sort of encouraged, um, reemphasized an old, older tradition that had been 
I think less popular, but she ramped it up, I believe, as a trial trial by ordeal. And to me, it sounded a bit Stalin-esque in the sense that anybody could point to anyone and accuse them of witchcraft, Christianity, um, whatever. And like that was grounds for f forcing, you know, the, the accused would have to undergo this trial of ordeal, which would have to ingest this uh, very toxic uh, bean from a tree that contained a, a toxic cardioglycoside, and, and that would... Uh, you know, 20% of the population, I think I read in 1938, or 1838, I'm sorry, alone, 20% of the entire population underwent this trial by ordeal. And the population of the island, during her first, first 10 years or so of her reign, I believe, um, really took a, a nosedive. I think it went from like 5 million people down to 2.5 to 3 million people. Uh, was you know, it, it, not, it was not just this ritual, there was a lot of other things. There was a lot of uh, uh, basically forced, forced labor yeah. uh, without compensation or inadequate compensation, and, and, and people suffered a great deal under that. And so the smart guys who could get out did? Well, I'm not sure how many people got out, but, but <laughs> yeah. definitely a lot of the foreigners with, with means, the missionaries I think all left, to the best of my knowledge. And yeah, I do have some postal material from the very last ones leaving, um, leaving in uh, 1936, thereabouts, or 1836, yeah, I should yeah. say. Um, yeah. So this Malagasy uprising in in 40, 18, or 1947, this Malagasy 1947-48, that was a period of. Uh, uh, Tremendous suppression it was a brutal suppression, and uh, it's estimated that somewhere above 40,000 Malagasy may have succumbed in that wow. suppression of the the effort. But they did achieve independence in uh, 1958. They voted for it, voted for a government in '59, and that became independent in 1960. And they all lived happily ever after. They've, they're, they're an amazing, uh, <laughs> amazing, resilient people, and, 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 and to visit there, there's a lot of people who are uh, quite content. So there was also, you were sharing a uh, story about a stamp you acquired on eBay. Oh, and yes. I thought that was very interesting. Yes, this was one of the Madagascar uh, uh, British consulate um, British Inland Mail, uh, uh, Consular Mail stamps. stamps, one of the great big ones from uh, from the second issue, about 1886 period. And uh, these are overprinted, they're, they're a lithographed stamp, and then they are completed by an official consular large fancy hand stamp on them. And those are usually done in black or blue. But there were a few done in red, not very many, maybe half a dozen to a dozen. They're, they were known on two of the denominations, and they're in the Scott catalog and fairly valuable stamps. Well, on eBay, I spotted it was listed as a red cancel, red stamped uh, 
British Consular Mail issue. I was surprised to see it on eBay of all places. And it was a denomination that was not in the catalog. It was not one of the two known ones. So I bid vigorously on this thing, and it ended up going for a very small amount. A very, very small amount. Very, yeah. very small amount. And I was extremely surprised. And there's, I, what, two of them known or one known? Th this is the only one known. Yeah, the only one known. And then I later found... And nobody saw it on eBay, just like... No. Well, it went, it went for like $150 yeah. or something. And, um, Major museum rarity for $150. Well, yes, it ends up being one of the scarcest of the British colony stamps. Yeah. And, and it, it's a known discovery, too, because I was in uh, the Royal Philatelic Society Library last October, and I found that uh, the, the, this very stamp was photographed in the philatelist of Robson Lowe's issues about 1960 article claiming this is a new find. <laughs> so how it went from incredibly rare to, to, to the man's collection that had this who wrote the article to being on eBay, uh, I have no idea, but anyway. So there's finds to be made? There are definitely finds to be made. I've had a couple incidents of luck like that on eBay over like <laughs> 10 or 15 years. So. Yeah, that's a that's a major one. Yeah, that, that was a really surprising one. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome. Have a good day. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. Stamp show here today. Stamp show here today. Stamp collecting happens